right. <laughs> Someone was jumping ahead there. Welcome. Do you to want to talk about your hat? Hey, <laughs> Sal, is, is that a new hat? I have to do the introduction first. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's Scarf. Oh, we screwed up the intro. <laughs> That's fine. It's perfectly fine. Hi, welcome to a brand new episode of Starfleet Boy. Today we're going to talk about, we're going to have an informal and casual, as always, discussion about the episode called Justice. And I'm wearing hey, my is that, red shirt. Is that a new hat? It is a new It is not a new hat. <laughs> How old is the hat? This hat is not that old. Um, it's like about a, less than a year old. But uh, you can I can remove this pin. And it's magnetic. Wow. And my intention was to look like a member of Starfleet Security. Did it work? I think so. <laughs> so, so today, a couple of interesting things. Uh, one, we're joined once again, as you've already... Uh, it's already been revealed by uh, the fabulous uh, uh, Guldu Scott and the Doctor... Hello, it's good to be with you, as always. Hey, before we begin, can I can I correct myself on something I screwed up on last week, really quick? Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned that uh, they changed uniforms on Voyager in the later seasons, and I was totally wrong. So I just wanted to uh, put that out there and let everybody know that I was talking out of my ass. It turns out they did have the opportunity to update their uniforms, but they decided that they didn't have enough replicator juice. Uh, to do it, or that they were better off rationing their replicator juice, and so they chose not to. But you did see when they were communicating with people back in the Federation in those later seasons, uh, you saw the updated uniforms, you know, on those folks, which is probably why it was confused in my memory. Not to make excuses, but uh, no, I was making excuses. <laughs> All right, because Barkley showed up on later episodes, right? Yes, you see Barkley, uh, and he plays a big role in helping get them home. Um, but, of course, he's wearing the updated uniform in all his appearances because I think he's oh, appearing a via hologram. I have a vague memory that Troy also has something to do with them getting home. No, Troy is useless. No, no she's not. <laughs> Troy's useless in every show. <laughs> oh, my God. In every series. Yeah. No. One day we'll have uh, Marina Sirtis on the show to defend Troy, and you guys will be sorry. Uh, <laughs> she'll be very nice to me. <laughs> I think you'll be sorry when she agrees with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that was good. Thanks for correcting that mistake. I think it's totally understandable, and, you know, um, since this is a casual and informal show, uh, it should be known that lies may come out of Goldie Scott's mouth. Uh, from time to time, especially since he's a Cardassian. Oh, wait. We're trying to have peace with you guys. No, I'm just kidding. Dude, yeah, no, I, I know that people look to me as an expert, so I just wanted to uh, <coughs> put that out there. Correct myself. Excellent. Thank you for correcting that uh, mistake. Anything from you, Doctor, before we go into this episode? We already talked about the hat, right? Oh, yeah. We already talked about that. Uh, uh, is that a new hat? Nothing else to contribute to this episode. <laughs> It should be known that the doctor has only watched seven minutes of this episode. Uh, he couldn't, he couldn't stand to watch the whole thing. And so doctor, you missed out, my friend. <laughs> well, let's get right into it. So this is the uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation episode called Justice, and uh, 
you know, like the title, we're gonna gonna deal with with justice, right? So the ship enters. Oh, and um, interesting uh, planet named Rubicon Three. Uh, they just dropped off like a thousand plus colonists on another planet in the Rubicon system, and now they're coming to Rubicon Three, where um, uh, a small party has beamed down to the planet to check it out to make sure it's uh, you know its inhabitants are welcoming and friendly. And uh, in the beginning, we get a report that describes the planet as being unusually lovely. Um, and I think that is unusual because a little bit of trivia, the exteriors on the planet were filmed uh, partly at a water reclamation plant in uh, Los Angeles. I think it's called the Tillman Reclamation Plant. That's pretty cool looking futuristic building surrounded by plants and clean looking water, but I don't know. I don't know if I drink from that what that re reclaimed water. <laughs> Did they use well, that's that an interesting note. Actually, that this is the first uh, time they they filmed on location, uh, aside from I think the holodeck scene in the pilot episode, um, and you definitely notice a different, you know, less claustrophobic feel in this episode where they're not in sets the entire time. Yeah, it's true. It's very nice, um, and I think the uh, the print that they used on the Netflix is really lovely. I thought the episode looked really sharp and and clear, and so it looks like they, I don't know. You know, part of the restoration or the remastering process is that they actually clean these uh, these prints up, but it looked pretty good. Um, no, they definitely did. So the the doctor, Doctor Crusher, is recommending that the that if the planet is really that wonderful, um, <clears throat> that Captain Picard should consider allowing the crew to go down for shore leave. And uh, for those of you who don't know, shore leave. In the military is when you get a chance to like, you know, just hang out and take a break. So like, you know, it'd be the equivalent of like, uh, you know, naval troops going to Hawaii, is like what I got the impression with this was like. This it's part. like Full Metal Jacket. You ever see Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, I saw that movie. Going to that bar in in Vietnam. That's yeah. not shore leave. That wasn't shore leave. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> that was Maybe that's a different kind of scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> so um, the report also uh, mentions that um, when so then Riker comes back aboard and you know he gives even more details into his report and um, you know he's talking about how lovely the planet is and then I think Tasha or someone says that. The inhabitants are really wonderful, and they uh, they make love at the drop of a hat. It's and, Jordy who says that. Oh yeah, and then and then Tasha says any hat, <laughs> which is a kind of a funny moment, you know, setting up a little little expectation about who we're about to meet. Um, and Picard's kind of suspicious about it. He's like, "Are there no negatives?" <laughs> and and Riker's just like, you know, totally. You could tell he's like completely. Uh, to to use a, a slang term of the day, DTF, and so he wants to get right back to this planet. <laughs> and he's like, Riker, we've never seen Riker this happy before or since. Happy. I don't think he's never <laughs> been as happy and excited as he is in this scene. In fact, he tells the captain, "There are no negatives that I can see about this planet." Oh, here's uh, Doctor. You have to say something. 
Oh, this is the, the Riker figure from the Galoob series right here. And uh, judging from his expression, he is actually from that this episode because he's very happy. <laughs> yeah, Riker's itching to get back to the planet. Um, and, the only and then they mention that there's some kind of glitch in the sensor readings that they're reading something off the the bow of the ship, but they're not. There's nothing there, so that's kind of an interesting thing. Can I interrupt you for a moment? Yeah. Right there, that was where the episode like it just clicked how stupid it was. It's like, of course there's something there. If you, I mean, it's just such a bad giveaway. It's like, oh, um. There looks like there's something there, but our sensors don't see it, and it's no, probably nothing. Of course it's something. You just had a giant space cloud steal your captain almost. These <laughs> are not reliable. It's just... Oh, God. It, it, like, right there and then, the episode lost me. It, right, well, right, I mean, I went a little bit longer, and then I was done. I was like, this is this is stupid. What did you did you wait to see the people on the planet to remember those great costumes? Anyways, uh, I'll, I'll wait for your the rest of your summary, and then I'll go into. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I agree with you, Doctor, because this goes back to an earlier episode uh, where we were talking about um, the reliability of the ship's computer, and I believe it's pretty damn unreliable. And and Sohail, I think, gave it a ninety-nine to hundred reliability rate. I feel like we've seen it fail them in at least half of these episodes already. So I Guys, don't know on the contrary, the ship's computer is saying, the sensors are saying there's something off the, the valve of the ship, but they're not, like, not seeing it with their eyes, so they're like, this is glitchy. So they're stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how much shit in space do they not see with their eyes? They're, they should be used to not seeing things with their eyes. Well, we'll find out. We find out later why the sensors were glitching out. But um, in the meantime... Um, after interviewing Riker and seeing his enthusiasm, Picard cautiously uh, cautiously agrees to send down another away team to evaluate the uh, shore leave worthiness of the planet. And, the, and then this time he asks Wesley to go down uh, with the <laughs> with the crew to see if it, there's anything fun for young people to do on the planet. <laughs> can we can we talk about this for a minute? Yeah, yeah, please, please. Okay. <laughs> Literally, Jordy has just announced to the entire bridge that everyone on this planet screws at the drop of a hat, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the next thing Picard does? Wesley, I want you to go down to the sex planet with the away team. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the boy has to come of age at some point, right? Uh, so is that your theory? Because that's my theory. I mean, <laughs> it's clear from later in the episode that Wesley is definitely a virgin. Um, so the only conclusion I can draw here is that Picard is trying to get him late. Like, this is the 24th century equivalent of, you know, taking your kid to a brothel. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, maybe it's the 24th century equivalent of, like, taking your kid to the nightclub. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure about the brothel. <laughs> the report he just got was that everybody on this planet <laughs> screws each other. All the time. Why don't you go down there and see if there's anything fun for young people to do? And um, it's pretty clear that Riker and Tasha got screwed when they were down there. I mean, look at the, the... I mean, definitely Riker. Tasha kind of acknowledges it with that drop of the hat comment. Right. It's So, yeah, there's a, there's something... Yeah, it's a little weird, but... but a anyway, little weird. 
<laughs> Doctor, what are your thoughts? What What is the reason Picard sent Wesley to the sex well, planet? You know, it's, I think this show has established that Picard... Picard chose not to have a family, right? Because he just didn't feel he'd be right in raising children. I, his gut instincts are right, okay? <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, what the hell's wrong with him? Well... And also, Dr. Crusher, you know, after he asks Wesley to go to the sex planet, Wesley and Dr. Crusher both have these huge smiles on their faces, and they're looking at each other like, oh, isn't this great? Wesley's going to the sex planet. <laughs> well, so the adventure continues, and the, <laughs> the away team, the away uh -huh. team beams down to the planet, and uh, they're immediately greeted by this gorgeous landscape that looks like it's been filmed on a golf course, but now we know, of course, that it's not a golf course, but a water reclamation plant. And apparently Los Angeles has these really gorgeous um, water reclamation plants. Um, oh, I did read a bit of trivia that, like, um, <clears throat> the scenes on the, the... The plant is, like, right next to the Los Angeles airport, so there's constant air traffic planes flying over the set, so they actually had to redub they had to do all the audio in uh, in post ADR, it's called, I think. Um, yes. So, <clears throat> so that and that's actually very, very common in most location shooting. You know, you you do go back and re-record uh, dialogue after the fact because you you'll have noise pretty much any time you're outdoors. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So they they did that. Um, it would be neat to see the. Uh, the behind the scenes uh, or like the actual footage to hear all these airplanes uh, flying by as they're trying to say their lines. But uh, anyways, they're greeted by two very fit, as Riker describes them, um, inhabitants of the planet whose name I can't remember. Uh, the characters' names, I was a little too distracted by the costumes. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the costumes are, uh, how can we put this? Um, awesome. <laughs> Very revealing. Uh, there's there's not left not much left to the imagination, um, and they're kind of weird, like very weird uh, costumes. And everyone seems to be wearing this. Um, and uh, you know, so anyways, we're greeted, and then um, <laughs> can, can can we talk for a moment about the greetings? Yeah, because this is actually the moment where I stopped watching. Well, it's a very it's a very intimate greeting. So the they come over and they in a kind of I thought in a little bit of a rapey way, uh, he kind of necks uh, Counselor Troy, the 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 guy. The he like goes over and he necks her, <laughs> and she's a little uncomfortable with it. You could tell. Go uh, ahead, Doctor. I'm 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 gonna and this is probably gonna be my last comment because this is where I I, I stopped watching. The, the rapey necky thing you just mentioned with Troy, I actually, I, I, I don't know why, but I was actually really thinking about the characters <laughs> when that scene happened. And I was thinking, but wait a minute, Troy, maybe I'm wrong, but Tr Troy come, you know, the Beta Zeds, they were inspired by the Deltons. I mean, right. the whole Riker, uh, Troy thing was inspired by, or it's a reworking rather of what would have been the Decker, Ilea thing, which was going to be part of Star Trek Phase Two, which got turned into Star Trek the Motion Picture. So the whole idea be behind the Beta Zeds 
was a reworking of the Deltons, which was they were very highly uh, uh, sensual people. Remember when uh, Ilea boards the ship, Sulu's all like, "Ooh my, ooh ooh," because they, had, you know, they're, they're, I don't know, they have like super sex powers or something. I, I don't no, know. What it is is the Deltons. So just to, uh, I happen to know, uh, or at least this is what I remember: the Deltons, um, they they like. They like exude this really potent pheromone, right? So, so like, yeah. So you're like, just you feel sexy around them, and you feel exactly. Really attracted. Exactly. Yeah. So my impression, based on that and the fact that the Beta Zeds have their weddings in the nude, if I remember correctly, is that they're very, you know, you know, they're very comfortable with their sexuality and all this stuff, blah blah blah. So when Troy reacts that way, I was like. Why is she reacting that way? Shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't she be like more in the swing of things with this planet? But no, she wasn't. And then I look at Tasha, who comes from the rape planet, where 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 women and cats are are violated, you know, day day in day out. She's like, oh yes, please, you know, uh, rape neck neck me more or whatever. And I just thought the characters switched at that moment, and and. And I, I think it just shows that the writers really weren't thinking about the characters. You know, they, they and and it, it, that just bothered me. I You know, Tasha, I thought, had more, based on what I had seen so far, was, sort of had a more guarded sexuality because she came from that, I guess, the rape planet, let's just call it. And I don't know what planet it's called. But she kind of reacted the way Troy, I thought, would react, and vice versa, and... I just shut it off at that point. I was just like, "Whatever, man." Not my bag. You were like, "Not my. That's not mine." Um, <laughs> I, read it I, I agree with you that that Troy acted weird. But remember, Tasha had already visited the planet earlier and had clearly had a, a good time. Right, right. And I thought that was a little weird because I thought in the Naked Now it had set up that she had she was a very like kind of icy. You know, I don't know. It just seemed like she wouldn't have been so. Well, in the naked now, I mean, she has she you know. she does data, right? Like so. Isn't that yeah. because she is infected? She's got all this like pent up. So it's what yeah. you're. Yeah. Like you're acting out of character. You get. I me? I read it a little bit differently. I agree with Goldie Scott that she'd already been there, so maybe we missed her initial response or reaction, which might have been a little bit more uncomfortable. But you know. Uh, as Riker says later, when in Rome, that you know she probably like loosened up or whatever. Um, by the way, that's a funny. Caligula's, a funny little, Caligula's Rome, I guess. Yeah, I guess they are in Caligula's Rome. Um, I read the scene a little differently. What I noticed was um, when the when the the Edo first come over and greet the crew, um, <clears throat> and when uh, the Edo female uh, hugs Riker in a very intimate way. At first, you could see Troy seems a little jealous, and then, then there's that like weird scene where the Edo male comes over and like you know necks her or whatever, and and she seems like it's like fun but uncomfortable and a little weird. And I don't think it's outside of character for her because the beta set are sensual, but they're not like overtly sexual or sensual in the way that the Edo are. I mean, the Edo are like just. I mean, right after that scene. You know, she goes over and she hugs Worf as well, and then 
uh, you know, makes him, and he's like, nice planet. <laughs> like, there's this, like, you know, this thing, and, like, you know, they're, immediately they invite the crew to, to play at love, meaning, you know, let's go, you know, let's go frolic in the, uh, in the Edo wilderness, and it, the implication is strongly that they're going to just, you know, play at love means have lots of sex. Um, <laughs> so, so it is a weird and different culture. Um, and at this moment, that you kind of get a glimpse as to how they view uh, children or youth, because she she <laughs> she checks out Wesley. It takes her a second to realize yeah, she doesn't she doesn't rape neck him right away. Right. <laughs> she hesitates and then asks, "Is it okay to rape neck you?" <laughs> What is your custom when it comes to rape necking? Right, and then and then Wesley says, "Well, whatever's normal," and so she just gives him a little pleasant, like a little, "Oh, nice, okay, nice to meet you," like not not as overtly sensual as the others uh, got. Um, but anyways, um, so that's all resolved or whatever, and then they decide, "Oh, you know what, Wesley." Um, Wesley needs to have fun too. Let's go back to the water reclamation plant where um, there's also, I'm oh, sorry, the headquarters or whatever, the the central village center or whatever, um, and you'll find kids there to play with, right? So, all right, and then oh, and then they're like confused for a second where he's like, uh, he tells the the male Ito tells the female Ito um, maybe they don't know how to run, which is I thought was a funny. Funny thing, so everyone runs everywhere. Oh and wait, hold on, hold on. You're skipping over a really important thing that happened in that scene. Oh, well, tell us. We basically learn that Worf has a huge penis. <laughs> right? He has that little comment. He has a moment with Riker. They have a conversation. <laughs> See, Doctor, you should have watched the rest of this episode. It was brilliant. So Riker and Worf have this conversation. Happens, no, I haven't skipped over that. That happens later when they go back. To I thought that was before they start running. Oh, this no, was, it was during the rape necking scene. No, it was not during that scene. He's he, so what happens is uh, we'll get to that part. But anyways, they run. Okay. Back. Well, I apologize. I thought it was during right. that part, but we have to talk about that, right? We're going. Exactly. Promise we will cover it. That's a highlight here. Because the... there's a lot to cover. <laughs> there. All right then. So this will be interesting, Doctor, because you're getting the uh, you're getting you're getting the the episode uh, highlights instead of having to watch it. But um, anyways, they go they run back to the uh, to the headquarters, and um, it's there that you know Wesley kind of Wesley meets these younger Ido, and then they all the it's uh, two guys and a girl, and they invite him, and then they run off somewhere. And now we go inside, and um, <clears throat> Basically, it's like a very intimately lit, dark room, and uh, there's a lot of making out and writhing and... and Wait, is, is this where Wesley is? No, Wesley's gone. He's out playing. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The interior of the water reclamation plant. Oh, right. This is where Riker walks in. Yeah, okay. I, I kind of remember this now. Right. Right. So, then, so, yeah, so they're just kind of like hanging out. You see... You see uh, Tasha hanging out with the the lead Ido characters, and then Troy sitting also in between two characters and having a glass of champagne. Worf is just kind of standing, observing the whole thing, and Riker walks over to him, and oh, oh that's how it goes down. Right? And there's this weird game that some of the Ido are playing that involves like metal balls, and they're like, Riker, you might enjoy this, and I just you know too many weird implications uh, came to my mind at that moment. 
But he says, perhaps another time he walks over to Worf, and then the, the conversation that Goldie Scott was referencing occurs where he's like, aren't you going to, Worf, aren't you going to partake in the joys of this planet? And Worf basically says, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you elaborate on this, Goldie Scott, but Worf basically says that, like, the only kind of woman he can enjoy <clears throat> having sex with is a Klingon woman because uh, humanoid or human women are too fragile. I don't know if he specifies that he can only be with a Klingon woman, but he but he does say human women are, are too fragile for me or something. And Riker is like, oh, well, if, if it was anyone else, I would think you were bragging. <laughs> That's right. So obviously the implication there is that you're very well endowed. Um, and that also has implications for, for Troy now. Tells us some things about her, knowing what we know in later seasons. Find out later. And, and Dax. Apparently, yeah. Well, so I guess Troy and Dax aren't too fragile. Very interesting. I never even thought about that. Um, oh well, I, I read a bit of trivia online. Uh, in <clears throat> when they're when they're heading to uh, the this building or, or whatever the you know the central place in the in the village, um, Riker says when in Rome. And Worf says, when and where? You know, like, he doesn't know what Rome is. And apparently, later in DS9, Julian Bashir says the same thing to Worf in an episode, where he says, when in Rome. Um, so that's been used a couple of times. And how does, how does Worf respond? <laughs> that I didn't see, so I was hoping you'd remember that, um, since you're our DS9... Uh, I don't remember what episode that is. But... Well, that's something we'll have to uh, look forward to. Yeah, we, we get do to our that. Deep Space Nine show. Yeah, yeah. Right, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, anyways, so they're chilling, they're hanging out. Then we cut to um, Wesley, and um, there's this really awkward scene where um, the girl, so you know, he's hanging out with these kids, and there are two guys and a girl, and the girl kind of pushes, pulls Wesley to the side, and he, and she says, there's something I'd really like you to teach me. And, you know, Wesley's like, oh, my gosh. You know, he's like, this is, <laughs> like, <clears throat> he's, like, totally worried. And he's like, there's a lot of things that I don't know. And it's actually quite endearing uh, it, and awkward, this scene. And then she says, I want you to teach me how to play balls. Play play." play ball or something, and I'm just like, oh no, the innuendo is just like crazy here. <laughs> and it just goes on, it just goes on, and he's like, we need a stick, and right. she's like, what a stick, Are a big stick, and, yeah, and he goes, and he's like, it needs to be like this thick and this long, and, you Are you know, wow. yeah, it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. bad. Hey, it was Risa. It's the in Deep Space Nine. It's do you remember the episode where Dax oh, and, yeah. and okay. Bashir and Lita all go to Risa together? Right. And there's weird right. sex stuff happening, and Worf is uncomfortable with it, just like he is here. And <laughs> Bashir, and he's like, Doctor, you know, I thought you guys were broken up or something. Why are you still doing it? And and I think Bashir just says something like, When in Rome? Right. Okay, I remember that. Yes. Yes. Remember that. Episode. Did you recall that, or did you look it up? I know. I just recalled that. I mean, I just want to point out to everybody how goddamn good I am over here with my, <laughs> my Deep Space Nine knowledge. <laughs> so after that, we go back to the ship, and um, you know, uh, all of a sudden, this thing that the sensors were detecting finally 
it appears, but it looks like a ghost image. It's just like this kind of weird-looking, cool <clears throat> spaceship thing appears in front of the Enterprise, and um, uh, communication gets cut off uh, with the planet, and uh, this thing sends a probe. It's like in, it's like a sphere, like a glowing sphere to the ship, and uh, basically at this point now, it it just <laughs> It speaks in a very loud voice that causes the ship to shake, and and Picard's just like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. What do you want? And so the thing basically uh, determine. It says, you know, what the what the heck are you doing here? Why are you here? State your purpose and leave my, you know, leave my children, as it refers to the people on the planet, the Edo, alone. And at first, Picard's you know trying to reason with it. Uh, so then I guess the, the probe realizes, oh, I need to learn more about these people. So it um, it goes over and, and, like, somehow communicates to Data that it wants to exchange information. And then <laughs> it, like, this sphere just, like, attaches itself to Data's forehead, and Data just falls down, and something's happening, and Dr. Crusher's called. And so that's, like, a little thing that's happening on the ship. It's not <clears throat> not terribly interesting at this point. But it's, you know, a little suspenseful. You know, is Data going to be okay? What's going on? Come but really, you just want them to get back to the sex planet as <laughs> fast as possible. So we come back to the sex planet, and um, Riker decides to go out and um, to go out and look for Wesley for some reason. I can't remember why. Um, well, no, they... they um, Tasha oh, and Worf... They cut back to the planet, and they can't communicate with the Enterprise, so Riker decides he needs to go get Wesley because he thinks the crew should all be together um, if they can't communicate. That's what it was. And then while that is happening simultaneously, Tasha and Worf are having this conversation with the Edo where they're learning this weird thing about their laws that, you yeah, know. Yeah, this is a really, so this is, if you had made it to this point, Doctor, I think this is where you would have also shut the tip. Shut off the, the Actually, I think this is where it gets interesting because it gets into some really like good sort of prime directive talk and and talk about what what is the meaning of justice, what what is the price you're willing to pay to have a peaceful, idyllic society, and all those types of things. But going back to why the episode kind of fails a little bit and it's in in the way that it's written, I mean, it's clearly setting it up. This conversation that Troy and and uh, Worf are having. It's clearly setting it up that Wesley's gonna fuck up somehow, and something's gonna happen. Like it's like, why is everyone worried about Wesley? You know what I mean? Like it is funny that the very first, and also during that conversation, someone literally uses the example of, so what you're telling me is if someone ignores a keep off the grass sign, they could be put to death, and that's exactly what happens in the next scene. What happens? You're right, and they're like, we have to go find Wesley. Like, what, what are they, psychic? I mean, how did they know they needed to go find Wesley? So, so, yeah, and so going back to what, uh, to elaborate a little bit on what Goldie Scott was saying about that scene, is, um, so apparently the Edo used to be a very um, uh, chaotic and, like, you know, just like humans, you know, there was murder, thievery, like, you know, lots of crimes. But apparently they had eradicated crime from the planet. And the way they do this is, which is also a little weird and not quite, I don't quite understand how it works. Um, <clears throat> maybe you guys will have, well, maybe Gilda Scott or, or have some insight on this. But 
they said that to to like to they've they've like basically got one punishment for all crimes, right? So if you step on the grass where it says no, you know, no walking on the grass, you'll get the same punishment, which is death. And they're just like kind of nonchalant about this. And the way it works apparently is there's these random zones called punishment zones that are set up. And if you happen to break a, uh, you know, break a rule in a punishment zone, you'll be put to death. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, sure enough, Wesley and these kids happen to be playing in a punishment zone because, of course, you don't know where it is, right? So we cut back, you know, <clears throat> Worf and Tasha are immediately concerned and race off. Riker's already looking for for Wesley, um, but, but no one's quick enough because, unfortunately, as they're playing with the balls, Wesley asks one of the boys to throw throw a long shot like in, in football and uh, Wesley just completely stumbles over this fence and crashes into a bunch of flowers and <clears throat> the kids are all freaking out. They're like, no one's supposed to disturb new plants. They're not even concerned if Wesley's all right. First of all, I'm pissed off at those kids. Yeah, they're not concerned if Wesley's all right. Even they're so the one that overthrew the ball to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> and the asshole kid is like, didn't you see the fence? It, <laughs> it's not a fence. It, it came up to, like, their ankles. Right. It was like a little pipe, like, sticking oh, up. Yeah, like a, yeah. Two inches yeah, off the ground. Well, what fence? <clears throat> yeah, I remember that. It's like they're setting him up to die. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. They just didn't like, they were picking on him. Exactly. So then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the mediators, as they're known, uh, the security force of the planet, um, just run out of nowhere, and they're like, you know, there's this like very kind of like uh, quick trial. They're not really even mediators. They just kind of like are... You know, they're just there to stick him with some poison and be done with it. There's yeah, no trial like, or anything. Like, I like their outfits, though. They have a cool, like, uh, a variation on the rest of the Edo's outfits. It's a little less provocative. Yeah, it's true. And they have a utility belt. Which, and they're blue instead of white. Yeah. Which is another thing I don't understand. Like, are you... So let's say you're walking through a... You know, these are random punishment zones, right? So if you happen to see one of these mediators just standing around, like, that should be a clue that, like... This is the punishment zone, or whatever. Well, no, you don't. You don't see them. <laughs> They're like nin- th- those guys. We didn't I see just... this, but they were up in the trees somewhere, or they were somehow <laughs> hiding, hiding in a bush. They, yeah, they are the ninja, the the sex ninjas, the ninjas of the sex planet. <laughs> the sex ninjas. That's <laughs> the Edo ninjas. They just uh, pop out when they you know, when they see something, something bad happen. So Wesley's super confused. Um, one of the boys is try- is actually admitting that it's his fault, and he's trying to defend Wesley, but it's no good. Um, <clears throat> they're gonna they're gonna do you know kill him, and then the crew arrives, Riker and Tasha and Worf, and I think Troy also, right? Was she there as well? Um, Troy, <laughs> I don't know. She's, I, she's so useless you don't even notice if she's in the... Oh, no, no. I set myself up for that one. Anyways, um... <laughs> we know she wasn't off ha- having sex or, or neck rapiness <laughs> with anyone. So, so Troy, so that, so Riker, you know, as soon as Riker figures out what's going on, he immediately, uh... <laughs> Slam dunks one of the guys. Like finally, he like he like pushes one of the guys to the ground, and then Tasha's like, "Drop that 
thing, and then she picks it up, and they find it's a syringe, and that's when they reveal, they're like, they're like, well, now you've frightened the boy, you know, this would have been painless and, and over quickly, but now he knows that he's going to die, and Wesley looks pretty freaked out, and it's all... Yeah, and we just got, we have to make a note of that, this is the first time Riker has won a fight in the series. <laughs> so it took us seven episodes to get to the point where Riker actually wins a fight. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <coughs> that's Another reason I think this is such a great episode. Doctor, I'm shocked that you, you <laughs> didn't like it. I mean, I think this is the best one we've seen so far. Well, the, the, certainly this, this discussion of it is better than the episode itself. I can tell you that much. So now... <coughs> so now, like... Riker's, you know, Riker takes matters into his own hands, and this is when, um, you know, he tries to contact the ship again, and and no response. Um, still, <clears throat> anyways, we go back to the ship, and uh, basically, Data is still, Data still out, and Troy, um, Doctor Crusher is trying to revive him, um, but then all of a sudden. Um, Communications are reestablished, and Jordy answers uh, the call, and <clears throat> and uh, Tasha's like, "Captain, I think you better beam down for this one. It's it's really, you know, it's basically a snafu uh, situation." So Picard, you know, beams down to the planet, and he's greeted, and now they're like, kind of, you know, the Edo are really upset. They're like, you know, how can you do this, like? Why wouldn't you let us um, act out our laws? And like, there's this whole discussion, and so they basically give um, Picard until sundown to to resolve the situation there, and then they're gonna kill Wesley. So what does Picard do? He's like, well, I need more information. So he takes the Edo, the leader woman, and they beam back to this to the ship, and they show her this vessel, and she immediately bows down, and, well, before that, she meets Dr. Crusher, and there's this whole scene where Dr. Crusher is really concerned about Wesley, and Picard basically, like, shuts her up, and he's like, <laughs> like, he's like, no, this is, this is what I'm doing right now, I'm not, you know, it makes it seem like he's not, not concerned about Wesley at all. Which, you know, maybe he's not. It's weird. It's a weird, yeah. And, and also just the fact that, that Picard took this woman up to the Enterprise is weird, too. Isn't that a violation of the Prime Directive right well, there? at this point, I think they've already violated the Prime Directive. So he's like, who gives a shit? He, he's like, I just want to solve this mystery, and it might be the key to getting us out of here. Right, exactly. See, if, if, if this were a classic episode of the original series, Kirk would have just slept with her, and it would have been resolved. Wesley would have gone free, and that would have been it. So another bit of trivia. We don't know that Picard didn't sleep with her. Well, <laughs> he definitely. Off, you know, there were some off-screen time that we didn't yeah, see. Okay. There's, there was no time for love. No? I have a question. Sure? <laughs> I have a quick question. Is this the first time Picard has beamed down to a planet so far? Good question. I can't remember right now. Um, w was he on the planet with Lutan? He was. He he oh, beamed yeah. down to Lagonia. Yeah. Yeah, he met Lutan. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah, he was there in the final scene during the big uh, porcupine glove battle between Yar okay. and Lutan's So he wife. only beams down when a member of his crew is in danger. In mortal danger. Okay. Which I think actually is, yeah, that's a good precedent. I, I kind of like that. 
Okay. Yeah, kind of a cool thing too. I agree. Actually, uh, Picard's great in this episode. There's a, so there's a lot of scenes that come next, which I think this is the part of the episode that I think is the the best part. So you know, you have this um, Ito woman. She sees uh, she sees the uh, spaceship outside the the lounge, the ten forward lounge, and she or well, whatever it is, observation lounge. And she immediately bows to it, and she looks. She's like totally scared, and Troy confirms that she's you know scared out of her wits. And so you know they ask her, you know, uh, have you seen that before? And she's like, you know, she's kind of like, yeah. And then you know, is this you know, is this what you consider your god? Because they the Edo worship this thing like a god, and they. Feel so I guess like they can see it from the surface of the planet, <laughs> or they have seen it before. It's revealed itself to them before. And um, apparently their god is uh, very protecting and of them, and uh, you know, and that's established earlier uh, when this thing um, tells the crew to leave its kids alone. Anyways, yeah, spoiled uh, kids. Yeah. Anyways, the the. I mean, they are like a bunch of spoiled brats, right? Like in general, like the way the way they act when like why why won't you let us kill your Wesley like. You guys are so annoying. Just let us get it over with. Well, to them, it's a fundamental. It, it's like a fundamental um, uh, violation of their their like governing law. And actually, there's an interesting scene uh, earlier before they beam the girl up to the the lady up to the planet. I mean, up to the starship, where um, you know uh, the Edo leader asks Picard something to the extent of. Uh, well, don't you guys have? Don't you guys punish any crimes with uh, the death penalty? And Picard says something pretty cool there, and I'm, I'm, I agree with him. I think that, um, I think that is the eventual way to go. Is that he says humans no longer believe in capital punishment, uh, and you know, and he says that they've figured out what the seed of crime is, and so they've they've figured out how to like eliminate crime a different way. And as what we do you know, think he means by that? Do you, do you think he means the societal seed of crime has been eliminated or something in genetic engineering, perhaps? No, I think that um, it's established that in Gene Roddenberry's future, um, on, on Federation worlds, in the United Federation of Planet, on Federation worlds, there's no hunger and everyone has a home. Like, and, and there's no money, so you don't ever have to, like... You know, you don't. So you've eliminated like basically everything that people have commit crimes over. Well, what about crimes of passion and jealousy and so human we emotion? We do know that those things still happen. I mean, like, and then you know, <clears throat> we've seen plenty of crimes being committed. You know, and even Captain Kirk is put on trial. You know, for violating the Prime Directive. <clears throat> yeah. I think Picard is simplifying things a little bit in this scene. He's simplifying things, but he. What I think what he's alluding to here is that like major crimes that used to happen because of inequality and things like that no longer occur on Earth or in in the Federation because of that. But we do know that that's not as rosy as right. he says. Because in the original series, there is that planet where they send. Um, I don't know if you remember. There's that planet where they send the. Uh, the insane, I mean, the truly uncurably insane. And there's a, a former Starfleet commander who fought against uh, the Romulans, and he's somebody that Kirk looks up to. And 
and Kirk and Spock go there because there's some new, uh, I don't know, some new treatment for them. And, and everybody there are, they're all Starfleet. I mean, they're all Federation citizens, but they're incurably insane, apparently. Um, but they do establish there that there is no death penalty, but they do incarcerate them, I guess, for life. Oh, interesting, yeah. <clears throat> and they so, try yeah. to treat them. Right, no more capital punishment. <clears throat> there is still, you know, justice system in place and courts and laws and things like that. So it's not that... It's not like the Edo, where supposedly there's no crime at all, but it's done through this really extreme way where it's like, no matter what the crime, you know, you uh, you break a piece of glass in a forbidden zone and you're going to get killed. You know, it's, it's not like that. Um, anyways, so then um, back on the ship to what I was talking about earlier, when she's kind of freaked out and she sees this thing, then all of a sudden the ship, the god ship, uh, realizes, oh, one of my children's on on the ship, and it starts to like come into come toward the Enterprise, and everyone's like freaking out because the it looks like it's gonna start attacking or something, and so they beam her back down to the planet, um, and then Picard goes to uh, sick bay to have a conversation with Data, <laughs> and this is like a, a pretty interesting uh, scene because you know Data. Data starts giving all this, you know, this ancillary information about this entity or this ship, and we learn that um, it's actually a bunch of different beings. It's not just one being; it's a, a collective of some kind, and uh, they live in they live in several dimensions at once. They kind of um, it kind of reminded me when I heard the description of these aliens. It also reminded me of a movie uh, that's recently Interstellar and like the the beings that live in the in the black hole, the Tesseract, that create the Tesseract or whatever um, in that movie. But um, anyways, these beings apparently they can they can be in multiple places at once because of this. It sounds a lot like the Time Lords, um, <laughs> but it, but they're not the Time Lords, of course. Um, anyways, uh, and then Picard accuses Data of babbling, which is kind of funny. Which he was. I was confused. I didn't really get all that he was saying. You, you were confused? Or you I agree with Picard, but I, I felt bad for Data in the scene, because first I, Picard knows it's about babbling, and then and, seconds later, Crusher tells him to shut up. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that Picard says, you know, uh, Data, you're babbling, and then Data's like, I'm not babbling, I'm just presenting information and, and I've chosen to organize it this way. And he goes, well, and Picard says something like, well, why don't you organize the information and just answer the questions that I'm asking you? So then in the, the next question Picard asks, Data basically gives a one-word answer and then just turns away. <laughs> and it's like really sad. And then Picard's like, well, okay, Data, feel free to volunteer any information. Because <laughs> like, he went to the other extreme. Um, so then data Which is weird because data should not have emotions. Yeah, it's really good it's point. Funny. Good point. Yeah, but it's very funny, I think, the scene. And then of course after that, um, uh, and he does apologize to him later. Picard apologizes to him in the next scene. Data does uh, then say something that also offends Doctor Crusher, and she, you know, regarding uh, oh, because he finds out about Wesley on the chopping. Yeah, well, well, Doctor Crusher comes running in like she does in several scenes in this episode. <laughs> Where she's like, 
Captain Picard, what are you doing? He's rescuing his son. <laughs> and Data just, he's like, it, it's really interesting the amount of emotion that a mother has for a child. And like, he's just observing it very scientifically and coldly and her little freak out. And she just turns to him and just goes, shut up! <laughs> oh, okay, so... I think it's understandable. I mean, like, moms do freak out like that, and, you know, she... So I think she's she's doing a really good job portraying a, a freaked-out mom in these scenes. Um, but you're right. Um, it is... You know, she's a wreck, basically, and Picard's just kind of tolerating it, which is really nice of him, because normally he'd be like, I need you to perform your job! No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but he has a couple moments where he's really warm and kind to her, and I feel like this... This episode is really where we're even more now starting to see like the Picard we know in, in in the later part of the show as opposed to just this weird kind of undefined character that he's been for the first several episodes. There are a couple of endearing moments. There's one moment in particular where she says something to the extent of that stood out to me where she says something to the extent of uh, if if it were you and if you had uh, if you had a child and it were you and he goes and he says something to the extent of but I am, but I am treating this as if Wesley's my child, and it, you could tell it touches her. And it was kind of like a, you know, it got me a little choked up too that moment. And then later on, uh, right after the scene that we were just talking about in sick bay, uh, Picard invites Data into his ready room where he's, you know, I mean, into his uh, quarters where he's just kind of staring out at this, uh, at this entity ship thing, and contemplating what he's gonna, you know, what his move is gonna be. Is he going to violate the Prime Directive and say Wesley or what? And he invites Data in, and they have a nice little philosophical conversation about the Prime Directive. Um, and then Crusher, uh, at the end of that conversation, Crusher comes into the quarters and says, Captain, I've completed my duties. And he finishes her sentence and says, and you'd like permission to beam down to the planet. Granted. And then he says to her in that moment, he says... Doctor, I will do everything in my power to make sure your son does not... Um, when he's all, he also says, and I'll accompany you. And I'll accompany you, right. And he's like, and I'll do everything in my power to make sure Wesley's not killed. So that's... You could see she's, like, totally, you know, touched and reassured. Um, anyways, they beam down to the planet, and uh, Wesley is brought to them. And this is kind of a weird scene, because, you know, Picard's basically saying, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but... I can't allow this to happen to my crew. I we respect your laws, but we're gonna take him. And then um, somehow it comes up. Oh yeah, the uh, one of them says, "Well, you're gonna get punished by God." Like, and then Wesley. This is what I meant earlier when I said they're like spoiled babies. The, these Edo, like, they yeah. get to live the ideal life and just hang out and bang each other all day long. And then the minute somebody disagrees with something they're trying to do, they're they're shocked and. They show no understanding of any kind um, over the fact that they might be upset about Wesley being murdered. Right. And it's just they're really dismissive of them and just kind of like, this This is where my feelings on the Edo kind of take a 180. I went from really admiring them and being into them to just kind of wanting to get the fuck off the sex planet as soon as possible. <laughs> Well, it just goes to show there's no such thing as paradise, Goldie Scott. Um, Indeed. <laughs> well said, well said. The, uh, so anyways, um, the, but there's this weird scene where Wesley kind of challenges Captain Picard. He's like, well, 
you know, if people are at risk and he's just, and Picard's just like, just come here, Wesley. He's like, don't try to play the hero. Anyway, Wesley was also really good in an earlier scene too, when he first gets caught and he admits to being the one who ruined the the flowers or whatever, and he he has that line where he's like, "I'm with Starfleet, we don't lie." Right. And yeah. he's just so earnest, and uh, I really like uh, Wesley a lot in this episode. Yeah, that was a really cool, uh, good, good, good scene. Um, that Ido say, "You freely admit your guilt," and he's like, "I'm with Starfleet, we don't lie." Of course, we know that's um, not exactly true. Uh, either, but <laughs> but that's how Wesley views it. You know, right. that's Wesley still is very much in his hero worship years. Yeah, it's true. So they try to beam off the planet, and guess what? The transporter does not work, and all of a sudden the Edo seem like they're vindicated, and they're like, "See, our God wants us to kill this boy. He doesn't want us, you know, want you to leave." And then Picard does something really interesting. He kind of just like steps out of. Um, steps out into the to the you know steps out from the crew and he looks up at you know where he, where this god might be and he just kind of makes a statement about um, justice and it's really nice uh, dialogue I I don't remember I should have written what it was but basically it's to the extent of like you know uh, basically saying that true justice um, means that you know something to the extent of like the law um, is not followed to the letter necessarily, but that each situation is judged uh, independently. And what, he, what he says is that there can be no justice in absolutes, yes. and life itself is an exercise in exception. Awesome. See, there exceptions. you go. Life itself is an exercise in exceptions. Exceptions. And so he appeals to this thing, and then Riker says, um, what does he say to follow it up? It's something like, uh, you know, what justice? I didn't write that down. Oh, but it was something like, "What justice is there in a rule book?" or something like that. And then all of a sudden, they're allowed to beam away from the planet. So this is kind of a nice little resolve because the Edo, uh, it, it's a, it's actually pretty clean because the Edo now have no choice but to think, well, God wanted these people to, you know, wanted Wesley to survive, and you know, God intervened, and now His mercy or its mercy has been exacted on the Enterprise crew. So the Edo are fine. The crew's back on the ship. And now they're trying to decide, well, do we get these colonists that we just dropped off? Do we do we go and pick them up? And Picard appeals to the Edo god for a signal, and it just disappears. It, like, goes away. So <laughs> they're a I little... I guess that's their signal. They're, they're cool. Did, yeah. did you notice at that moment when they beamed up to the ship that... They were having a conversation in mid-teleport. Oh. You didn't... Okay. Oh. I noticed this. It Like, if you watch the end of that episode, as they're transporting up, like, the effect has already started, and they're fading out, and Picard turns and starts talking to someone. I think it's Riker. And you can hear what he's saying. I can't remember any other time <laughs> in any Star Trek episode where they are talking to each other during a transport. Star Trek 2... Don't in they? Trek, yeah, in Star Trek Two, um, they're having. I love that you immediately know that. <laughs> they beam back up from the uh, asteroid, um, and then in Star Trek uh, Four, when Jillian jumps on Captain Kirk, she says something to him. Yes, that's right. They're right. Being, so they're, they're, wow, <laughs> good answers. There is a precedent uh, for that. Um, 
Anyways, that, that's it. The episode's over. Um, one thing Wait, I like... that's it? That was the end of the episode? That's the end of the episode, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, so, Doctor, don't you feel, after hearing us talk about all the excitement, don't you really wish you had watched the rest of it? I mean, it had everything you could want from a Star Trek. It had visiting a new planet and a new civilization. It had this mysterious new life floating out in outer space that they had to figure out. It had hot, sexy people, scantily clad, being promiscuous. It had a discussion of the Prime Directive. I mean, what more do you want in your Star Trek? I also liked uh, the scene where he talks about, um, he compares the, uh, Data compares the colonization of, you know, like the way the Edo God looks after these children. He he, uh, speculates that perhaps uh, they planted these, beings on this planet and are watching over them at this stage of the, their development um, much much the same way Starfleet colonizes worlds. Um, and I thought that was cool too. And I actually it kind of made me sad um, that scene because I think um, if like some of the dreams of scientists came true from the 60s, we would we should by now totally have a lunar colony. You know, there should already be a colony on on the moon, and we should be having regular commerce between the moon colony and Earth. And like, you know, we're mining the Earth, but there's all these other planets that have resources like Mars and the moon that we could be mining and getting. You know, or even asteroids. It's known that like a lot of minerals and important things, maybe even gold. Um, is uh, is deposited is is found can be found out there, and I don't think uh, humans are meeting their potential quite yet. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Um, the episode remi- um, reminded me of um, an uh, old uh, episode of the original series where they they go to this planet and they find this uh, Eden like it's an Eden like planet, and uh, they have also scantily clad, blonde, blue-eyed people running around. Uh, but they don't know anything about sex, which is a new... I don't know if you remember this, either of the two of you. And it's actually Chekhov who introduces sex into this the, to the, the people. What? Of all this, the characters uh, on that show, Chekhov? <laughs> yes. You would think it would be Kirk, but Kirk is, is too worried about the Enterprise, which is in danger. So, you know, the Enterprise oh, always yeah. takes precedence. Over anything else, it's so, good to know like, Kirk has his priorities, right? <laughs> right. The ship is in danger. We need to save the ship, not the people. He doesn't really care about the people. It's just a physical ship. <laughs> so that leaves Chekhov to uh, make to basically just fondle and, and caress this this other Starfleet officer. And then the, the people, the Edo of this episode, see that and they're like, "What are they doing? What is that? All that touching? Oh, let's let's try it." And um, and it's hilarious, and and they also have a god, uh, but it, this god is in a cave on the planet, and it attacks people through flowers, and Spock is attacked by a flower, and and uh, it, I don't know, it's hard to beat that episode. I mean, how does a flower attack Spock? Like, wait, wait was that the is that the one where the flower? spews its pollen and they all become like Spock. The white pollen that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Spock becomes really emotional all of a sudden. He's like... No, no, that's another flower (laughs) that attacks Spock. No, no, Spock is attacked by many flowers in the course of the original series. This is another flower. This is a different flower. No, it's not the flower that makes him happy. No, no. 
Weird. Um, I don't remember that. I have to go back and watch that episode. Um, there was a little bit of trivia I read about the writer of this episode. He used a pseudonym in the credits because they actually changed his episode so yes. much. Yes, and the original episode sounds much better. <laughs> This was a, so. This was the second script commissioned, and the uh, eight, what is it now? The eighth episode we're on. Seventh. Seventh episode. I um, guess it's the eighth if you count uh, Farpoint as two parts right, one and two. Right. So, anyways, the seventh episode. Um, we'll just do Farpoint as one thing, but yeah, he his original story was a little bit more intricate, I think, and involved like a revolution on the planet and a regime change and a security officer dies and, you know, there's, it was a lot more, uh, well, Dr. Exciting Dick, sounding? Huh? It was a lot more exciting? Exciting, yeah, a little bit more action, I think. But yeah. anyways, that's, uh, that's it for this episode as far as I'm concerned. Do you guys have anything else to add? I just want the doctor to admit that he missed out on a good episode. That I just want to hear him say he regrets not watching all of it. I, I, I well, I've seen the episode before. I, I didn't remember it being that good the first time, and um, you know, I still haven't seen Daredevil season two, so I have better things to watch. Um. I don't know. I just don't. I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to waste my time watching this. I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna be very bad on this. I like it. I think that it's cool. Thing. I think because it's cool that you came on uh, to just point out that you protested to this episode. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I, I think this is more interesting than the episode. Watching the two of you discuss it, to be honest. So I'm trying to explain to you what happened. Goldie Scott did the episode. Uh, was it enhanced for you watching it again from the first time you saw it, um, or or were you did you feel like there was more sex in your memory than, than what actually was on screen? No, I, I mean I don't I never think Star Trek uh, got super sexy. You know what I mean? Like I it was about what I remembered, about what I expected. There were some butt cheeks. Uh, <laughs> I liked seeing the butt cheeks, um, and you know. What, do I, what am I trying to say here? Um, <laughs> I have to be careful because, as you know, we're only PG-13, right? That's right. We are PG-13. No, but I, I felt like this was the best episode we've seen. In all honesty, like, not kidding around. Like, of the seven episodes we've watched, I felt like this is the best one. It felt really? like it felt like the characters, you know, except for that one little thing you pointed out at the beginning with Troy, uh, it felt like the characters were very true to themselves. But I could also put that weird Troy moment off on her being jealous or feeling weird about Riker right next to her neck raping another girl. So um, I just felt like this, like I said before, this episode had all the things I look for in Star Trek except for maybe a space battle. That was the only thing it was missing. And it just felt like the most watchable one so far, um, the most enjoyable uh, the best performance by Picard, the best performance by Wesley, and uh, it gets an A for me. No, I, wait a minute. Haven't we already seen the episode where... A minus. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know because I think, to me, Encounter at Farpoint and, and um, you know, those two episodes are still the best ones so far. No, and, and the one where they warp speed... Like, in ludicrous oh, Where no one has gone before. Yeah, no, no. 
Yeah, I have you to really think that this episode's justice is better than where no one has gone before? I do. I do. <gasps> what? Well, let's see. No, no. We'll see if uh, if another if a future episode trumps this one for Goldie Scott, but I don't agree on this one. I don't think it's the best episode so far. Although I will give this I give this episode a solid uh, B. Just a B. Are we grading them now? I guess we are. <laughs> I know what your your grade is a D or an F, right? Oh wow. wait, but I feel we have to grade the others then. All right, well, Encounter at Farpoint. Retroactively uh, grade the others. Well, for me, Encounter at Farpoint gets an A plus. The Naked Now was an A minus. Wait, hold on. I'm going to write these down. I'm going to write these down. Oh, yeah, we should. Yeah, we, we need to keep, yeah. keep a record. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Go ahead. Encounter at right. Farpoint was what? A plus. A plus. A plus. Wow, okay. The, are we going to do grades, or should we do rank them 1 through yeah. 10? we do a 1 through 10 type thing? Ooh, I like 1 through 10. That's I'm a numbers guy. As what do you, you think, know. Doctor? Yeah, okay. No, that's good. Or 1 through 5 to make it simple. 1 through 5, like 5 stars. So, Encounter at Front Point, uh, parts 1 and 2 get 5 stars. The Naked Now gets 4 stars. Code of Honor, for me, gets three and a half stars. The Last Outpost gets four stars. Where No One Has Gone Before gets five stars. Lonely Among Us gets two stars. Two and a half stars. And Justice gets three and a half stars. So that's my rating so far. Okay. You want okay. me to go next? Yeah, yeah. Go after. So encounter at far point. <clears throat> Wait, you, you're going, Scott? I'll go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, encounter at far point. I'm gonna give three out of five. Wow. Um, naked now. I'm gonna also give a three out of five. Um, what was the one after that? Code of Honor. Code of Honor. I'm giving that a one. What? A one. A one. The episode got one star. Yeah, that's a shitty, shitty episode. Oh, um, the, the character. That's right. I yeah. Remember. Uh, what's after that one? Where uh, no one has gone before. Last Outpost. Oh, the Last Outpost. That's the Ferengi episode. That for me also gets a one. Oh. Um. After that was where no one has gone before. Right. I'm going to give that a three. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then Lonely Among Us, that one gets a, a one also. And, um, and now we're here at Justice. And now we're here at Justice. This one I'm going to give a three and a half. Okay. Yeah, my first half. I haven't had any other halves on any of my rankings, so this will be the first half. You do halves? <laughs> well, Sohail did a bunch of halves. Yeah. Okay, then um, I will. Okay. All seems right. like if you're going to do a 1 through 5 system and then have, have halves, you might as well just have done a 1 through 10. <laughs> well, wow. no. Just thank a thought. You. Thank you for that opinion, uh, Cardassian. <laughs> 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 now, Time Lord. 
<laughs> All right. Encounter at Farpoint, I will give uh, three and a half. And the next one is Naked Now. Well, I didn't I didn't rewatch that one, so I can't say. Okay. I don't but, really remember it that well. All right. Um, and neither for Code of Honor. I didn't watch that one. Uh, then after that is where no one has gone before, right? No, the last outpost. Which is is that is that the Ferengi one? Yeah, the Takan yeah. Empire, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really recall that one. I'll give it two stars. Okay. Where no one has gone before. I give that one. Oh, I give that one four stars. Four stars, great. Lonely Among Us, which is the Picard. Beams out into the energy cloud episode. <laughs> I give that one one, and now ju- and now brings us to justice. Which I give that one uh, half. <laughs> <laughs> half a star. Okay, great. So not a not a zero yet. Well, no, anyway. no, no, not a zero because the women are attractive on that. On that. <laughs> um. So, anyways, that uh. That leads us to uh, closing out this episode of Starfleet Boy. It was awesome having you guys on again and talking about um, justice. Um, <clears throat> the next episode is going to be The Battle. So we'll reconvene here next week to talk about wow. that. Maybe we'll finally get a space battle. <laughs> our first spa- I'm going to be so disappointed if we do not get our first space battle in the episode called The Battle. <laughs> Well, we'll find out soon enough. Anyways, uh, Starfleet Boy saying live long and prosper and signing off.